0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. Uh, We're recording from beautiful downtown Batavia, Ohio, uh, with a few people here with me today. Um, Before we get really rolling, I do have a tendency to get rolling. We want to share with you how to communicate with us. We'd appreciate any feedback or questions you might have. One of the goals of this podcast is to start getting some Interaction and questions and challenges and then dealing with that because, frankly, that's what the church is supposed to be. Everybody uh, being involved to some capacity, almost almost equitably, we, we would say. Um, you can contact us by email at fightthegoodfight10 at yahoo.com and we publish these on uh, the Facebook page at Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. Correct, Dylan? Correct. Nailed it. Very good. So, In the next few weeks, and we hope to have our Twitter handle up and running. And just we'll see what the Lord wants to do. I really don't care. I just do this because uh, it's what I do as a Bible teacher. So, uh, we are in the midst of our trilogy on righteousness. It's a you know three segments on uh, the term righteousness, and we started out with an intro to righteousness. And today, we're going to look at the two great powers of God's righteousness. I'll give you a second to contemplate that. If I were to say, and, and again, I'm going down the limb here and saying most people have never heard this teaching before, which is amazing. If you'd have grown up 60, 70, 80 years ago in a church, you'd have heard it for sure. But this generation, you probably never heard it. Um, but I'm going to challenge you to think about what you believe to be the two great powers of God's righteousness. And while you're doing that, I'm going to read you a verse out of Deuteronomy which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Jesus Christ, Christ, mimicked those words, didn't He, when He was asked, "What are the great commandments? What's the greatest of all the commandments?" And He said, "Well, the greatest commandment is right there in Deuteronomy six four. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul." and with all thy might. Source of great controversy. Jews believe that God is one God. They would not be a big fan of the Trinity. The Muslims believe God is one God, Allah. not a big fan of the Trinity. You know what that means by not a big fan of the Trinity? We serve and believe in a triune God. One God in three persons. So, yeah, Michael just did his little, you know, Catholic cross thing, and that's the sign of the the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get into... Um, not going to get into a big long discussion on the Trinity because we're discussing righteousness. So, the title of this segment of our trilogy is The Two Great Powers of God's Righteousness. And here's where we're going to start. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's true, Michael. Our God is one God in righteousness. That's how that should be understood, interpreted. That's what it is. My God is one God in righteousness. He is one righteous God. He's a single, he's of singleness in righteousness. No matter what form God takes, he can take any form, right? God can take any form he wants. He cannot cease to be God. He cannot cease to be righteous. He can come here into the world and take on the form of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, a human body, and he's still righteous, isn't he? He can be in the form of the Holy Spirit and be in people's hearts, and he's still one in righteousness. And that's what we're going to discuss today is this truism. It's a tru- It's not a concept or a principle or some guesswork you're hearing from pulpits these days. The truth is that God is one in righteousness, and his righteousness exists in two great powers that have the ability and power to redeem the human race. So God is one in righteousness, And his righteousness exists in two great powers. And to build on that, we talked uh, a little bit in the last episode of the Intro to Righteousness, and thank the Lord for it, of this idea that when you really boil it down, the Bible only has three truths in it. It records the truth that man is unrighteous. It actually proves beyond any doubt whatsoever, the Old Testament proves... History has proven that man is not capable of doing only the good. We are unrighteous people. It also proves, by that very fact, that God alone is righteous. When we get into the New Covenant, we meet Jesus Christ, who was a perfect, righteous man that was sacrificed, and God accepted that sacrifice because Jesus Christ was a righteous man. So the Bible proves man is unrighteous, God alone is righteous, And the third truth is the most beautiful truth, and we'll really confirm this in our third episode, that God has redeemed us solely by the power of his own righteousness god is holy god is perfect god is immutable god is all the things we read about and hear about but we kind of tiptoe around we should be always pointing to our righteous god our righteous god that god is a righteous god he's a righteous god to the jews his chosen people he's a righteous god to gentiles and people like me who were sojourners and proselytes and gentiles redeemed because the jews rejected him they didn't reject just jesus they rejected god's righteousness they wouldn't listen these stiff-necked people you just will not listen I pray and hope today that you will listen, because this this is the truth that saves men's souls. This is the truth of the gospel, Dylan. Are these two powers of God's righteousness? So I gave you a few minutes to kind of contemplate what those two powers of righteousness might be, and you might have taken some guesses. This would be an awesome time if we had an interactive. People around this table know this, so it would be a little unfair, um, but. Maybe some of the guesses might be what what do you think some of the guesses people might be making of the two powers of God's righteousness? Mm-hmm. What are some of the guesses we're making? Hopefully, by the time we broadcast this and you guys are twittering and FaceTime, whatever you do. I don't know. when, you, when Michael, when you think of that, um, what, what comes to mind when we say the two powers of God's righteousness? honestly don't really know? I don't have a huge clarification of what you're talking about. Good. That's okay. That's fair, Rebecca. What would you think people would think if I said the two great powers of God's righteousness? What what do you think people would think of? Maybe nothing. Wrath and his love. What? Two Hmm. great powers. Wrath and love. Michael, that's really good. Now, Michael wasn't cheating because he'd never heard that before, to my (laughs) knowledge. Nope. But he hit the nail on the head. When you look at God... And you contemplate God and you learn of God and we talk about God being one in righteousness and there's two great powers of his righteousness, that's exactly what it is. If God judges somebody and condemns somebody and kills somebody with eternal death, how does he do it? With his righteousness. By the power of his own righteousness. Never makes a mistake. Anybody went up in hell, deserved to be there. There's not going to be, oh, missed one. God didn't make any mistakes. People will perish in eternal death by the power of God's righteousness. If people wind up in heaven and glorifying God forever in bliss and glory, how do they get there? By the power of power of God's righteousness. Okay? So when Michael said that, we're going to build on that a little bit. He said his wrath and his love, and he's exactly right. We might call it his judgment and his mercy. We might call it his law and grace. But that's what it is. God is God is all He's one in righteousness. His two great powers of righteousness are revealed to the world in his divine wrath. True or false, God is going to bring wrath on unrighteous men. True. On unrepentant, unrighteous men. God will bring wrath. You've got to know that. The Old Testament proves it. The Old Testament records the truth that there is wrath and there is judgment in God's righteousness. We're going to ask Michael's going to ask a question, so hang with us. Does he also? Like, put on wrath onto like his belief, What is it called? Like followers. Well, of, like that's, testing them. And, we're gonna get to that in episode. That's very very good. Michael's asking the question: Does God's wrath apply to believers to redeem people? We'll get to that in episode three. That's a great question. We want people asking questions like this because these are the real questions we need to answer. Don't just take things for face value. Don't don't go stumbling into a Baptist church and be taught some doctrine of you know, hyper grace or hyper eternal security or things like that, and just take it at face value, we want to consider these things. And we're considering them in one context, in one context only, and that is the power of God's righteousness, that God is righteous, I'm not. I was saved in about 1991, I guess. And the day before I was redeemed, I was an unrighteous man and couldn't do anything right. The day I got saved, I was an unrighteous man, couldn't do anything right. Today, I'm an unrighteous man, can't do anything right. Nothing has changed in my life except the power of God's righteousness living in me and the person and power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, it's not this is not a podcast or some diatribe about the Holy Spirit. We'll get there someday, I guess, uh, Lord willing. But it is about righteousness. And when we say today, the episode of the two great powers of God's righteousness, he's revealed to this world. He's given us a witness. Some of you are always like, I've had people that are completely obsessed with this two-witness idea in the Bible. The two witnesses, this person, that person, the two witnesses, the two witnesses. Well, I'll just let the cat out of the bag. It's very simple. God has put two witnesses in this world. They're both witnesses to what, you think? What do you think the witnesses are to? His righteousness. His righteousness. It's an open book, it's an open book test, guys. The two witnesses are both witnesses to God's righteousness, his own righteousness. So God, sitting on his throne, says... I've got to put a a testimony, a witness into the world that there is certainly wrath in my righteousness. Right, Michael? There is wrath in God's righteousness, is there not? There is judgment in my God's righteousness. There sure is. You read the Old Testament, it proves it time and time again. Every time I go to a funeral, it proves that there is justice and there's the power of death in God's righteousness. It's there, right? So he witnesses to that in the covenant of death. That's one witness into the world. But then somebody, a good friend of mine, starts talking to me about this man, Jesus, who came and took the wrath of God and will save my soul if I'll repent of that, stop trusting my own righteousness and trust in his righteousness, and he'll make my life worth living, he'll forgive me, and I won't die of my sins if I will serve Jesus Christ, accept him into my life and my Lord and Savior. And then I learn of another power of God's righteousness. I learn that there is mercy. There's also mercy in God's righteousness. That's why the Bible says God can be just and the justifier of those who believe. God can be just; He can be He can He can legitimately say, "Don't I'm going to show you mercy?" There's still wrath in my righteousness, but you don't have to, you don't you don't have to worry about that because you're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in my wrath; you're trusting in my Son Jesus Christ. When we read that verse in Deuteronomy, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy might." heart, soul, and strength. What Jesus said, that's the juxtaposition of the two covenants. We did a little thing about the confusion of the covenants here a while back. And we might have to parlay that into this a little bit because you want to be very careful that you don't get caught trusting in the wrong power of God's righteousness. People who trust in the Ten Commandments, Jewish people that depend and trust in the Ten Commandments will perish by the very power of wrath that God revealed in the Ten Commandments right? Mm-hmm. Give me an amen. Amen. They will perish. If you are trusting in God's law to make you righteous, you will perish in eternal death. If you trust in Jesus Christ, the sent righteousness, the righteousness in your spirit, and you allow your your flesh to be crucified and deny yourself and truly accompany Jesus and truly follow him with a life of self-denial and taking up your cross, then you're trusting in the sent righteousness of God, his son, Jesus Christ, and you will live eternally. If you're trusting in law, you die. If you're trusting in grace, you live. Now here's the tricky part. If you're trusting in a little bit of grace or a lot of grace and a little law, you're going to live or die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. The covenants do not they're not they're not friends in this world. They're enemies. The covenant of death and the covenant of life are bitter enemies in this world. The covenant of life has nothing to do with the covenant of death. The Ten Commandments are a servant of Jesus Christ. They're there, as Paul would say, a schoolmaster. One witness tells you you're dead, Rebekah. The other witness says, come unto me and I'll give you life. Once the ones led you there, you leave Hagar out in the bushes. That's exactly what Galatians teaches us and the whole story of Genesis teaches us that the covenants of God, the two witnesses, one serves the other. They're not co-heirs. Moses and Jesus, correct me if I'm wrong, Moses and Jesus are not sitting on the same throne, are they? No. No. Not at all. Moses was a servant to Jesus Christ. He was a servant to the covenant of grace. Moses, as a matter of fact, couldn't even go in the promised land. He couldn't go into the land of grace because he was a law guy. He represented the law. He could look, but he couldn't go in. Those are all pictures. Those are all, if you want to go through the Old Testament Museum, if you promise me you'll look at it, it's the old museum. And don't go back there trying to pull things out to justify yourself. No old Levitical laws, no kosher laws. No. Don't pull anything out of the Old Covenant trying to pull it into Jesus' blood. Don't do it. Because all you'll do, Rebecca, is dilute the power of the blood. When I have to ask for forgiveness, I ask for, pow- I ask for forgiveness and deliverance. We talked about last episode. I ask for in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of his righteousness. I don't go back and try to give more or be a better person or be a better me or be a better you. Or That's nonsense, but it's worse than nonsense. It's a lot worse. It's apostasy. It's heresy. We should not as a Christian church allow that stuff to be taught in our churches, and we shouldn't be teaching it. But just get that in your spirit just for a few seconds here that we have one God in righteousness, these two great powers, these two great witnesses, one is God's law and one is God's grace. One is the Ten Commandments and one is Jesus Christ. And there's a clear distinction between those in our lives. So picking back up on this spiritual truth, what is called a spiritual truth, and a few words probably need to be said regarding that. So the Ten Commandments for sure. The law of God, for sure, is a power of righteousness, a power of God's righteousness, and Jesus Christ is a power of God's righteousness. The kicker to this, gang, is that which one of those powers of God's righteousness are available to an unrighteous human being? That's where the confusion starts. Again, referencing back to our devil made me do it about the lie of Satan. Satan would love you to believe that Both powers, both wrath and mercy, Ten Commandments in Jesus Christ are accessible to a man. We call that the lie of the righteousness of man, or I like to call it the lie of morality. The lie of morality in this world is that man can be good, man can be pleasing to God outside of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Probably something to kind of piggyback on our... um, podcast on The Devil Made Me Do It and The Lie of the Devil. And if you want to go back and and listen to that, you probably can. Maybe learn a few things. In the scripture, it records that when Satan is telling his lie of the righteousness of man or the lie of human morality outside of the church of Jesus Christ, we call that the spirit of Antichrist. The Bible records that denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. If you deny your need for Jesus Christ, if you've chosen to become of a religion, of some sort of movement that denies a need for the salvation in Jesus Christ, you're of the Antichrist. You're against Jesus Christ. If Rebecca decides, I'm gonna be a whatever universalist and I don't need a savior, I'm just a, you know, I've got a few flaws. I'm not a bad person, I'm just a mixed up person. I'm not an evil person, I'm just a confused person. I've made a few mistakes. If you refuse to call what those mistakes are, sin against the holy righteous God, that you need a, a savior for, you're literally in the organization of antichrist. That's who you are. You're against Christ. Satan and his against Christ. They're against Christ. The best way to, to trick somebody into not needing Jesus Christ is to tell them they're a good person. You're okay, Dylan. You're good and getting better. You're okay. I'm okay. We've seen this lie of self in the world since the Garden of Eden. Or better said, it's not the Garden of, it's the Garden in Eden, in paradise. And Satan just lied to him and said, ah, you don't really need God to be acceptable. You don't need to believe in God or trust in God or listen to God. God certainly told you you could think for yourself. I mean, would my God ever tell me, Dylan, that I'm not allowed to have my own dreams and aspirations and choose my own career path? My God would. Well, he did tell you that. He said, I've told you what to do. I've called you, ordained you before the foundation of the world. If you want to clear up the predestination problem real quick, God has predestined everybody for what he wants them to do. It's not about heaven and hell. It's about, I want you to do something, now follow and obey, and serve me, and seek me diligently, and we'll do this together. Fair enough? Fair enough. So, to continue on with this this concept of the lie of Satan, and again, you can go back into the other uh, podcast, The Devil Made Me Do It, and probably hear a little more on that. Um, but what we want to talk about are the the power of righteousness, and the covenants, and we were explaining about when you start lying about righteousness outside the church, we call it morality. And we call it the spirit of Antichrist. Satan's a huge fan of morality. He loves morality because he knows it doesn't really exist in the world, but it's a great tool to convince people that they're a good a good person. They'll be okay. And I'll have to share with you, the main tool he uses to pull that stunt is God's law of righteousness. He uses the Ten Commandments. There's an old story, you might like it, about uh, a couple things some really good i'm not big on these object lessons and illustrations but this is probably a good one a person in this world who thinks they can be acceptable and righteous by obeying the 10 commandments or being a moral person is like a person who watches tv and sees jordan go for 55 against the knicks and says man if i can get a hold of michael jordan's jersey i can get 55 against the knicks too well, that's stupid because the power is not in Michael Jordan's jersey. Where's it at? It's in Michael Jordan. It's in MJ himself. Just like the power of God's righteousness is really not in the Ten Commandments. It's in God himself. Amen. That's when Jesus comes. It's God himself. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. So don't be tri- tripped up by thinking you can believe in a power of God's righteousness and mistake that for believing in God himself. Because God tells us, Rebecca, if you're going to be redeemed, You've got to believe in God Himself, and that's Jesus Christ. You're looking right at you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm the Father of one. Indisputable in the in the New Testament. Yeah. Indisputable that Jesus Christ is God. And you can call him the 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 anointed, the Messiah. And by the way, we should say those terms for our King and our Lord. Don't be throwing those terms around like we do in this church. Be very careful about that. So outside of the church walls, the trick and the deception of righteousness by law outside of the church walls is simply called morality and the spirit of antichrist recording the scriptures now you're probably going to ask me now well if that's the case you're probably going to drive the train into the church walls and i sure am going to drive it right through the church walls once you get into the church walls and you start teaching that same lie it comes in a different form so if i'm a new testament grace preacher and I preach the gospel that Rebecca, the Ten Commandments have, re, have, have condemned you to eternal death. And God, by the power of God's righteousness in that law and His own righteousness, He must condemn you and keep the promise that you're going to sin, you're going to die. God is He's got to keep that promise. And you're like, well, I don't want to die. And I'm like, well, I got some good news for you. God sent His Son Jesus Christ into the world. If you'll stop trusting in that in that law in your flesh, stop. When I say trusting in law. I'm saying trusting in your flesh. let so make that clear. When you're trusting in law, you're trusting in the flesh because the Ten Commandments are holy for the flesh. And I say trust in Jesus Christ, who is holy for your spirit. Completely holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Jesus Christ is holy there to redeem your spirit. He's not real concerned about your flesh, contrary to popular false teaching in the church, not real concerned about your physical well-being. He's more concerned about getting your spirit into heaven eternally and giving you a new body. Okay, Not that I don't believe in healing. I do. But I certainly don't emphasize fleshly indulgence like our current church people do. I'll just leave it at that. So inside the church walls, we have another term the Bible uses for when somebody starts teaching people and we're going to go look at a story in Galatians here in a couple minutes after I, we finish up this point. When this lie of Satan, this lie of Antichrist seeps its way into the church walls, into the body of Christ, it's got a little different form. We start teaching people, as did the Judaizers in Galatia. They started saying, well, Rebecca... It's clear you've been saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Christ. We can see the change in your life, and you're not the same person you used to be. You're being transformed in front of our eyes. But I need to talk to you about keeping the Sabbath day. I need to talk about some kosher laws. I really need to talk to you about if you're going to play in the praise band, you got to be tithing every week. i got to talk to you about some legalistic things from that old covenant we got to bring in. Really, do you now? I don't see that in scripture anywhere i'm I, i'm not sure oh yeah 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 we at our church teach that you've got to be doing these certain legalistic things back in the old days it was circumcision and stuff like that now the present day thing is a little sabbath keeping and a lot of tithing we're going to we're going to bring you into that and you're going to say well wait a minute i'm a little confused because i'm pretty sure i was saved by the grace of god the forgiveness of god and this man named jesus christ and i know i'm a little new at it but is it true that once I receive Jesus Christ as my true Lord and Savior and I'm walking in freedom from all that bondage when I was condemned in the flesh, then now i got to go pick a little of it up? So what you're saying is I used to have a really bad problem with prostitutes, and now I've been redeemed and delivered from that. I don't have that desire, but, but you're saying I might need to go back and just once in a while. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to steer clear of that old covenant, only because I'm pretty clear on what that is. I know that sounds really harsh and I hope it sounds more than I hope it sounds offensive to people that are teaching that because it's intended to be offensive to people that are teaching that because there's a term we use for people teaching that and there's a term we use for what's going on it's called false prophecy. Okay? The the spirit of antichrist is denying Jesus Christ came in the flesh by denying your need for him. When that same lie seeps into the church walls, into the body of grace, and you start teaching that law and grace are co-heirs in my salvation and my righteousness, you're teaching you're a false prophet. You're teaching that, oh, even though you're saved by the gift of life, you're given a gift, but you still owe a little something back to God to do that. You're a false prophet teaching false prophecy, Dylan. Those are two separate covenants. Those are two separate, for for an unrighteous human being, those are two separate powers of God's righteousness. And I'm going to prove it. So here we go. I misspoke a little bit. We will cover some Galatians 5, but really the whole book of Galatians um, is really like a divine legal brief that Paul writes uh, defending, protecting, solidifying the truth that we're talking about, the two powers of God's righteousness. He calls them the two covenants. They can be called the two witnesses to God's righteousness, the two testaments to God's righteousness. The reason we have a New Testament and an Old Testament There's a former testament to God's righteousness, a testament unto death, a tombstone. And then there's a testament unto life, which is the divine son. So we're actually going to pick it up in Galatians chapter 4. Pardon me for misspeaking earlier. And we're going to read some scripture. We're going to start at verse 15 where it says, Where is then the blessedness you spake of? I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. And I therefore become your enemies because I tell you the truth. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. Paul is saying, when I brought you the gospel of the freedom in Jesus Christ, you love me so much for making you free. to plucked out your own eyes and gave them to me. You would not have traded your own eyeballs for the freedom I gave you. And now how quickly you become entangled in into the old bondage again little side note very interesting i believe we can probably prove um gosh with the new archaeological discoveries and everything in these manuscripts and stuff i've been reading that the first reference to anything of, of the holy spirit recorded for the christian church was in galatians and paul says did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith he makes a point you get the spirit by the hearing of faith I know we have a lot of doctrines floating around about when you receive the Holy Spirit, but boy, if you're in Galatia, you received it by the hearing of faith. By the gospel, you received the Holy Spirit. But we're going to jump down to verse 19, and I hope, hope most people here. If you're not, you should go back and read the story of Abraham. We referenced him in our former, in our uh, first part about he believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness, and he had Sarah, and he went through all the stuff with this promised son, and Paul brings that up right here. And Paul knew his Jewish scriptures, Dylan, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Boy, did he know his Jewish scriptures. He was trained by gambling. He knew his stuff. So he tells us here an allegory. He presents to us an Old Testament allegory. If you don't know what an allegory is, you might want to pick up a dictionary and do a little research because the Bible is chucked full of allegories. Um, Kind of similar in the same vein as a fable, but they are human events that have significant spiritual meaning to him. other other worldly meaning would be a secular definition i guess but we call it a spiritual meaning that god is putting his righteousness his truth he's recording his righteousness in every rock river stream king concubine archer anything in his in his word in his recorded truth of righteousness he's putting the picture in there for us and because paul is faced with these judaizers saying no 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 you guys have, have have become Christians, but you still got to do some Jewish traditional things. Paul is going to blow a mountain-sized hole in this in this false teaching, and here's where he does it. My little children, whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. He's changing his demeanor. I'm getting serious about things. I love you guys. I've given you the gospel. We've taken care of each other. We're pretty good buds. We're hanging out. We're doing all this stuff. But I got something to teach that's really important. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, are you not listening? Do you not hear the law? For it is written. It's recorded. Now, quick sideline. We like to refer to the Bible as the Word of God. I think we know what we mean by that. We should refer, refer to it frankly in all truth we should refer to this Bible as the recorded truth of God's righteousness. That's what it is. It's the recorded truth. you got the natural truth outside. Look at the trees and the hills and the valleys and the beauty and the sun, and the moon, the stars. That's the natural truth of God's righteousness. It's written there. Romans confirms it. This is the recorded truth. God wrote it down for us. It's awesome. He wrote it down. Thy word is truth. He wrote down the truth of his righteousness, and we refer to that as the word. Jesus Christ is the word because, frankly, we know that all the Scripture bears witness To Jesus Christ, he tells those uh, Sadducees. I believe you you search the Scriptures, thinking you got eternal life. They testify of me; they're a witness to me; they're a witness to my available righteousness. So he goes on: "You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Verse twenty-one: For it's been written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. You probably know some of these cats that we're going to be talking about: Ishmael and Isaac." And how the story goes, real quick, that Abraham has made this incredible promise to Abraham, my God did, and said, You're going to be a great nation. I'm going to give you a promised son. And boy, time's running out. And they're getting a little nervous, and Sarah's getting nervous. She's getting up in years. As a matter of fact, uh, Sarah gets past childbearing years. She's past menopause, and she's past childbearing years. And they're getting a little nervous about this promise God made. So she has this, this scheme and says, Abraham, I don't think it's going to happen for us. You might want to go grab Haggai and make sure we can help God out a little bit here. Why don't you go into Haggai and make sure we help God fulfill this promise he made? And Abraham's probably thinking, Why? Well, I, I believe God, and he gave me righteousness. You think I should be meddling in this? But for some reason, Abram does, right? And he goes in. Haggai, Haggai bears a son. We named him Ishmael. And okay, not, not a great thing. You know, God comes back, and I'm trying to do the short condensed version of this. And God says, I'm going to give you a son, and they kind of laugh, Sarah kind of laughs, Abraham kind of scoffs at it, but by golly, it happens, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Sarah becomes pregnant with the promised son, Isaac. We know the story of, of old Isaac, the promised son, the one we sacrifice at Mount Moriah, the whole nine yards. We find out over in the book of Romans, I believe it is, it records the truth that, that Isaac was born from a dead womb. After childbearing years, that Sarah was way past, and God had her conceive, and Isaac was born of a dead womb. Kind of reminds us of our salvation. Hmm. Nothing in this world but death, and Jesus brings life out of death, doesn't he? Amen. He sure does. He brought me out of death. Not just the hard times, and struggles. He brought me from death and gave me life. He invented life. He created life. He performed it. He did everything by the power of his own righteousness. So what Paul is making the point with these, these Galatians is based on the knowledge of their Old Testament scriptures and truths. some Jews involved, obviously. He's going to prove that this was actually a type, picture, a figure, the Bible would call it, an allegory of the two covenants we're talking about, the two powers of God's righteousness. And he says, for it's written that Abraham had two sons. The one was by a bond woman and the other by a free woman. Haggai, Haggai, Haggai was the bond servant and Sarah was the free, the real wife, right? But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. It was from the schemes of man. Born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was born of the promise. We are seeing a clear difference here, and you might as well just insert it right now. Haggai, covenant of law. Born in the flesh. Everything from the flesh. Bondwoman. But if you trust in the promise, if you wait patiently, if you persevere, we're children of promise, aren't we, Dylan? Amen. All right, Rebecca, we're children of promise. Definitely. We're trusting in God's promise, no matter what that looks like. Listen, no matter how much we suffer, how much bad sushi we get, how much financial trouble we get into, how many Dave Ramsey books you want me to read, forget it. I will suffer. I will persevere. I will wait on the Lord my God to deliver me someday. We are children of the promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory? Uh-oh, I think it says in here. I think it's recorded in the, in the book. For these are the two covenants. These are the two witnesses. These are the two powers of God's righteousness. The one comes from Sinai. We know, I've told you that. The one power of God's righteousness, the Ten Commandments, came directly from Mount Sinai. And it says, it gendereth, it causes bondage. It's Hagar. I might have mispronounced Haggai there, but sometimes I jump that around. Hagar. This gendereth bondage, which is Hagar, the slave woman. Let that sink in. The one power of God's righteousness is solely for the purpose of fleshly bondage. It will put you in bondage. It will keep you in bondage. It will murder you with bondage. Will it not? Yeah. Paul says many things about that. I'm trying to keep this law, but every time I try to keep it, I find more evil dwells in me. We could go through, and we did this one day. We didn't record it. could easily go through and find out that the Bible records in Corinthians and the New Testament that law is the power of spiritual blindness. If you try to be a good moral person, it will blind you to the truth for your need for a savior who is righteous. It will blind you. We've all met people that are highly moral people that want to kill you. Dwight Moody probably said it best when he said, you know, I get a little nervous around the immoral people because they'll hit me over the head and take my wallet. But I pray God deliver me from the moral man for he will kill me for disagreeing with him. We see that in society more than ever. You walk up now and, oh, don't you dare make a statement about uh, Black Lives Matter or transgender. They want to take your life because they think they're so much better. That's the evil, the the wickedness, the power of self-righteousness is what you're seeing there, false righteousness, I like to call it. So you've got in in the Bible, you've got this power of spiritual blindness. You've got what the Bible calls the administration of condemnation. Every single person... I imagine it winds up in hell. will probably stand in front of Jesus Christ with the Ten Commandments next saying, you thought you were going to trust in that? You failed every single time. I was here to save you from that. It's hard for us, Dylan. It's really difficult for an unrighteous, broken, fallen human being to see, again, to see a power of God-given law, a power of God's law, and be convinced that you're a fool for trying to keep it. You shouldn't go around breaking it, but you can't trust in keeping it. And there's a difference. You shouldn't do wrong, but you shouldn't trust in doing right. Right. You trust in you trust in Jesus Christ, and He'll let you do right. Right? There's 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 different powers in the covenants for an unrighteous human being. So we've proven here that Hagar, Sinai is about bondage and about the flesh. True or false? The Ten Commandments are solely for the flesh. True. True, truly, solely for the flesh, Jesus Christ is solely the God of our spirit. True, Jesus Christ redeems us in our spirit. He makes my spirit new, my soul new. The flesh, okay, I've been saved twenty-five years. I'm getting worse every day. I'm falling down. I'm, i I mean, I'm. My flesh has not been redeemed. It's not going to be. It's going to be new, but it's not been redeemed. Now. Verse 25, for this Hagar, Agar in Mount Sinai in Arabia and answer to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Anybody trusting in the law in any capacity, any religion, any moral system whatsoever is in bondage to that that law. God makes it clear because he actually says things. Again, Paul says things in Corinthians and the New Testament that the law is a strength of sin. The law was given that every mouth be stopped, and the whole world become guilty before God. God allowed man to see the power of His righteousness, his wrath, only to show him the need for mercy. It went, Rebecca, if you and I were cruising around in uh, in the garden in Eden before the fall of man, we'd have had no knowledge of God's wrath. We didn't. We wouldn't even have existed. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't need. And in heaven, we'll have no knowledge of His wrath. We'll be completely redeemed. And back where we're supposed to be. We would have no knowledge of sin either. No knowledge of sin because it didn't exist. We would have had no knowledge that our God was a God of wrath. We wouldn't have needed to know. But once we rebelled against him, once we fell for that lie of Satan, once we fell for that trick, like many people are today, God said, doggone it. If I'm going to redeem people by faith, and it's going to be by faith, because it has to be by faith, only way it can be is by faith. The only way I can get people to believe in my son Jesus is to prove they're dead. Because you won't look for life unless you know you're dead. You're not looking for a life preserver if you're not drowning. The gospel we preach today, and forgive me, this is going to be kind of long. The gospel we attempt to preach today, the gospel that you hear in the present day church, is like, it's similar to this. It's like being on a plane and they spend the first 20, 25 minutes playing music and talking about Hey, we got all these great things. we got these parachutes and these great things for you. And in case the plane goes down, we're going to take care of you. We're going to cover. And it's all sitting right there. It's all there for you. But they fail to tell you the plane's going down. They never tell you. You better put it on. The plane's going down. You can thank Ray Comfort for that, by the way. That guy wrote one of the best books ever in the Hell's Best Kept Secret that talks just about these covenants. And, well, like anything, all the good books you pick up in the 99-cent bin (laughs) because nobody wants the good stuff. We want to hear about truth. And that's what Paul's giving us here when he says in verse 25 again, A Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem. She answers to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Now look at verse 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now we're getting into the promise, right? The Jerusalem, place of peace, the real city, right? The two great places. You got Sinai, where the commandments came down from, and you got Jerusalem, the holy city, correct? Correct. Where life lives in a holy city, my friends. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which has a husband. Simply put there, there's a lot more lost people than saved people. It's a lot more people going to hell than going to heaven deal with it the way is narrow the way is narrow it's tight it's flinty it's tough you got to climb the hill of frankincense to see the mountain of myrrh and it's going to tear you to pieces getting up there for your whole life and you should embrace it sad story most people sitting in churches are going straight to hell and you're probably one of them if you don't know this truth church is packed with people hearing false prophecy false gospels false righteousness Anybody that allows any self-teaching in there, any legalism teaching, you're in, you're, you're in. I pray and I hope and I believe that God will give us a chance. He'll break through and give you a chance to say, repent of all that nonsense. If you don't believe me, check the book of Revelation, the first seven churches. He's got a problem with all of us, but he gives us all a chance to repent, doesn't he, Dylan? Yeah. But he's not writing that to the Democrats and Republicans and, and the social group. He's writing it to his church. Yeah we got big, big problems, and they all stem from a confusion and a false concept or no concept of righteousness. Verse 28, now we, brethren, just like Isaac was, are the children of promise, right? I'm not related to Ishmael. I'm not related to Hagar. I'm related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and the list goes on and on, right? Right. That's our line, isn't it, Dylan? Amen, that's our line. We're not back in the Arabian, Ishmaelite line. And it'd be nice, it'd be nice if it was just about the, uh, oh, the Palestinians, the Arabs, and the Jews have been fighting forever. It's all Ishmael. Nah, it's law and grace, baby. That's the war that rages in this world. Law and grace is the war that rages. It's not a, listen, you don't get a choice between law and grace. You get a choice between law or grace. Are you going to be a legalistic son of a gun? Are you going to be a spirit-filled, gentle believer? Mm -hmm. That's your choice the Ten Commandments. It's not the Ten Commandments and Jesus Christ. It's the Ten Commandments or Jesus Christ. Got it? One serves the other. Law serves grace. We can prove that if we want to as well. If you want to look at Jacob and Esau and the whole The elder will serve the younger. This is the way it's going to go. The elder witness serves the younger witness. The elder witness is law. It serves Jesus Christ. If I can convince Dylan that he's been condemned to eternal death by the power of God's righteousness in the Ten Commandments, and he can have the knowledge of that, and all I got to do is say, look, Dylan, murders, rapes, funerals, your personal life, alcoholism, immorality, you're condemned to death. You're not good enough to get in the kingdom of heaven. Really? Yeah. That's the power of knowledge. Ten Commandments, power of knowledge. Okay. I know that. And you should be saying, then what should I do? If I'm not mistaken, that's what Peter did in Acts. You've crucified the Lord of glory. You're guilty. The guilt is on your hands. What must we do to be saved? They were pricked in their hearts. We'll get into that very heavy in the third uh, episode of our trilogy. They were pricked in their hearts, and they asked the question that every person needs to ask before they're redeemed. What must I do to be saved? The belief comes easy, Rebecca, once you know you're dead. Looking for life comes easy when you know you're dead. If I get you on a plane, and I'll borrow this from Ray Comfort again, it's the whole, it's just such a good analogy. It's just a good comparison. It really is, yeah. It's brilliant, where he talks about how you get on a plane, and they say, okay, I got this really cool... uh, uh, parachute pack and I've got this life preserver and Rebecca, I want you to put this on. It's going to really enhance your ride. It's going to really make the plane ride better. Put all this cumbersome things on. It's going to be great. That's what legalists try to do. Hey, I know you're serving the Lord. And you want to be totally free. And you know, if you fall out of the plane, Jesus is going to catch you. It's fine. You trust him. Yeah, I trust him. But you really need to put this par- it's going to make your life do a little tithing and do a little this and do a little legalistic work and make your life a lot better. And pretty soon you're like, no, it's not. This stuff is really too burdensome for me, right? Don't need it. That's one side of the scenario. The other side of the scenario is in the gospel side of the scenario. Hey, Dylan, you know what? You should come down to our church, man. We're Christ followers. We're Jesus freak people, man. We're Jesus culture people, man. Jesus is cool dude. We're going to hang out. Give him your little, you know, pokey dough. This is great. He's going to make your life so much better. And pretty soon you're like, my life sucks. My life's not better at all. You told me this stuff. It's really not better at all. What we fail to tell people is you might want to put the parachute on and grab the life vest because the plane's going down. Once you hear poof, 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 poo, poo, then you're much more likely to grab the parachute, aren't you? It's not about comfort. We can't be teaching people it's about comfort and about your life will be better and Jesus culture, people and this foolishness and nonsense. What you got to be telling people is the divine plane's going down into hell for all eternity, and this, this man, Jesus, is your parachute. He's your escape from this. And yeah, it might be a little rough, and it might be a little uncomfortable in this world to walk around with the Jesus, doing the Jesus thing, but it's going to save your eternal soul. Is it worth it? Well, absolutely. apparently a lot of people think it's not worth it because they want to reinvent Jesus and what they want him to be. They want to be the people that pipe a little bit and want Jesus to dance for them. Jesus does not dance to my tune. I dance to his, Right. that's the way it works we are servants of the most high god so verse 28 now we brethren as isaac was are children of the promise but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit even so it is now even so it is now listen i'm doing this podcast right now and i've said some really shocking offensive things if I went into a regular, I mean present day church, and it could be a lot worse. Just for the just for the record, I I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be gladly accepted in there when I'm telling people that if you're teaching tithing, you're a moral legalist teaching. You're a false prophet teaching moral legalism and harming people would not go very well. That would bring great persecution, and it has on me. Um, tithing is not a virtue. It simply isn't. Giving is a virtue. Tithing is not a virtue. Tithing is a legalistic act created back in the Old Covenant for two reasons. To take care of the Levites practically and to show this world the percentage of people will be redeemed out of it. And that was it. It never had anything to do with money. Money was used, Dylan, to show people that my God's going to get 10% of people out of here. It's a spiritual truth. And if you're teaching people, you got to tithe to be in the... And I've, heard, I've heard about everything now you get here. But I've heard more than once about you can't play in the praise band unless you're tithing. Have you ever heard that, Dylan? Oh, yeah. Sin. Listen. Jesus, forgive him. He has every right to impute that as sin. Every right to impute that as sin. I've heard a guy stand in a pulpit and say the three keys to a victorious Christian life and tithing was number two on the list. That is not a key to a victorious Christian life. Walking in the Spirit is the one, two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen key. It's the only key to a, a victorious Christian life. Okay? I would love nothing better, Rebecca, and go back to a fancy job, make a lot of money, cut a check for 10% and go about and do whatever I want to do. But that would be a selfish move on my part. And I'll just speak personally. God would never accept that from me. And I know better. And Dylan, I think you know better. I think most people around here know better. He wants it all for the harvest of souls. He wants everything I've got every minute of every day the best I can give him. And that's exactly what I'm willing to give him. Verse 30, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Ready for this? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. We know they got rid of Hagar. She went out in the woods. He didn't die. God God saved her, right? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son, listen close. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. The point we're trying to make, and it's a spiritual point. Most people here, this will probably start with looking at all the mistakes I made. I'm sure I made several and few. and misspoke because I'm really tired no excuses, you'll start being angry and worked up. Whenever someone makes an assault on what you really believe and trust in, they're making an assault on you personally in an attempt to save you. In an attempt to pull you out of the fire. What, what is recorded in the Holy Scriptures is exactly what I put when I define false prophecy. Because here's how the Bible defines it. The son of the bond woman, listen, the legalist and the redeemed spiritual believer do not live together. We are not friends. We can, I can love you, but we're not friends. We're enemies. Dylan, people that are teaching legalism are my enemy. People that are teaching legal, legalism are enemies of the gospel because the gospel teaches deliverance from law. Frankly, if you, wanted to, if you really wanted to find the gospel, we all know the gospel means good news. If, there was a, if, if the gospel means good news, there should be a word for the Ten Commandments that means bad news. <laughs> Shouldn't there? Because that's bad news. The Ten Commandments for the unrighteous human race are like a divine shark and we're the bloody legs in the water. It's not going to miss anybody. So we're teaching people, oh, don't worry. Cut yourself up and run out in the... Oh, the sharks won't bite. Yes, they will. They will chew you up and spit you out. Samson walks the wall. He guards that wall up there, boy. Nobody gets past him. The gospel is literally the good news that Jesus Christ put away the power of death and the Ten Commandments for a Christian's life. He was killed by the power of the Ten Commandments. We started with that. My righteous Lord was killed by the other power of God's righteousness. Simply God said, the simplest terms I could ever put it, was God ordered one power of his righteousness, the law, to murder the fine young man, the Bible says, to murder the other power of his righteousness. And he said, Jesus, you up for that? And he said, I'll willingly do it. And he willingly did. But when he did that, he put away the power of condemnation, death, and bondage in the Ten Commandments for me. I'm free. We're only free from one thing, Dylan. We're only free from the power of condemnation in, in God's law. We are made free, baby. That's why Jesus didn't say "Come to set you free. I've made you a free person. You are now a free person in the Spirit. To be set free is a fleshly thing. If you're misquoting that verse, you're a fleshly person. I've been made free. I never have to worry about God condemning me. I know all about God's wrath. Probably better, maybe better, not to brag, probably better than anybody in this world. I know all about God's wrath, and I know exactly how to respect God's wrath. I don't mess with it. I don't tempt my God. I don't lie about my God's wrath. I know how to live in grace. I know the significant need for mercy. And you read Galatians. I would challenge you on this podcast to read Galatians just in the vein of these two covenants because that's what it's teaching. That was the most important. It's the most important truth in the Christian church and the first doctrine ever recorded in the New Testament. So it's pretty darn important. We can go argue about all the other lesser things. They're not that they're not important, but everything falls under this. When it comes to righteousness, the two great powers of God's righteousness. Thanks for listening. If you want to all um, oh, say bad things about me and things of that nature, fight the good fight 10 at yahoo.com. Uh, you can meet me down at my place where I work. You can do it down there if you want to. You can do it at Fight the Good Fight Bible podcast, and pretty soon you'll be able to grill me on Twitter. Um, God bless you and hope to hear from you soon. Bye.